This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. Perhaps it's time to take a deep breath with respect to China and its widely expected attempted takeover of Taiwan, especially in light of the promises the U.S. kinda sorta made to the government of Taiwan. Cato's Eric Gomez discusses recent developments that call into question China's willingness and ability to take control in the near term. Amid a lot of news items that came about last week. This one sort of slipped under the radar. If you don't mind, uh, explain what happened. Sure. So basically, the number one and number two military commanders of China's rocket force, uh, the PLA rocket force, or known by some of us as the PLARF, which is a hilarious way to say it, uh, the top two guys in the PLARF were replaced by a Someone from the Navy is now running China's missile force, and someone from the Air Force is now the second in command. And that's a surprising turn of events because the rocket force is China's newest sort of branch of the armed services. Um, Think of it sort of like our Space Force, but they do conventional and nuclear ballistic missiles. And yeah, all of a sudden, uh, their number one and two guys got replaced and not by people who were also in the rocket force, which is interesting. It'd be like, let's say, you know, the commander of the Marine Corps and the second in command tomorrow suddenly got, you know, kicked out and they said, okay, we're going to put an army guy and a Navy guy in charge of the Marines in the U.S. And that would be, that would be pretty weird that you wouldn't just promote from within. So that, that's the situation we're looking at. And no clear reason as to why no there's been no reported reason uh there is an ongoing anti-corruption campaign within china uh since october of last year the uh commission for discipline inspection which is the the sort of uh part of the chinese government that ensures that you know party loyalty and and uh that sort of thing has been doing an investigation push against certain members of the military. Um, they've, they have not publicly said why these two top guys were replaced. Uh, but given the history and the circumstances of, you know, in the past, other military branches have, have experienced similar shakeups. It's likely that they were caught up in some sort of corruption problem. So, uh, this wouldn't matter. Uh, to the United States that much. Uh, obviously, China is a rising uh, military power, uh, but it wouldn't matter too much to the United States were it not for the unclear, ambiguous promises that the U.S. has made to the island nation of Taiwan. Right. So I I follow the Taiwan issue very closely day in and day out. And what's interesting in the U.S. is that in the last few years, there's been this development of a sense of an immediate danger, right, to Taiwan, that China is in a position where it could attack Taiwan on relatively short notice. Um, And we see it a lot from, you know, Biden administration officials, from members of Congress, uh, the year 2027 gets thrown out a lot as a potential year. But I've seen some, you know, uh, back at the, at the start of this year, 
uh, the head of the U.S. like transportation command, who is like in charge of a lot of logistical things, issued some memo to his troops saying that, oh, I, I think we might even have to fight a war with China over Taiwan by like 2025. And so it's this, there's this sense of looming danger in U.S. leadership circles, both civilian and military. I think this instance with the PLARF and its leadership shakeup should inject some calm into the discussion. Because what we think of as the Chinese military's strength, we mostly look at things like ship numbers, airplanes, missiles. Like It's easy to count that stuff. It's easy to look at physical things and say, oh my God, they have so much of it. But it's equally, if not sometimes more important in a military, all like the connective tissue stuff, right? What's your organizational culture? What is your training like? Um, and in China, a lot of their efforts at military reform since Xi Jinping took power over the last roughly decade hasn't so... The, the, the equipment is important, right? And we shouldn't dismiss it. But so much of what China's trying to do internally is root out corruption in the PLA, root out you know, these, these sort of ways of doing business for years that became ingrained that make them an ineffective force. And I think once you kind of look at that, once you look at the bigger picture, and it is hard, right? And, and it is difficult to kind of uh, see the non-material side, see these intangibles. But once you do, the picture of the, mil the Chinese military you start to get looks a lot less dangerous, at least in the immediate term, right? They, they look much more, they have big challenges. Yeah, it's uh, huh. people uh, sort of poo-poo HR departments often in uh, companies, but of course they're vital, right? And having uh, understanding the culture of an organization and trying to maximize its effectiveness is not, uh, it's not a button you push. Look at Ukraine. Right. Like everyone thought when the Russians were lining up along the border, like, oh, this war is going to be over quick. Right. Mo I thought that most analysts did that Ukraine would just get rolled because their their military was so much smaller. Um, but at least in the in the very early days before U.S. and Western aid starts really flowing, the thing that really helped Ukraine was, number one, a lot of dumb Russian mistakes. Right. That they got wrong because they had bad sort of internal issues going on that we didn't notice or we didn't see. And then the other thing was the Ukrainians made much better sort of internal decisions um, and, and had a much better way of organizing themselves to defend. And so, yeah, that, that kind of stuff can be essential. So for the United States, uh, you would argue that maybe things aren't quite as serious or quite as immediate as uh, we may have, as people in the know might have thought even just a few months ago. Uh, but for the United States more broadly, with respect to Taiwan, we've had these unclear, ambiguous promises that we've made for a very long time. It seems clear that United, the United States is not willing or should not be willing to go to war with China over uh, a country like Taiwan, which is not of incredible strategic importance for the United States. And yet here we are. Yeah. And I think that 
the way Taiwan is 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 kind of shaping up in this discussion on the U.S. side is this, you know, how do we contain the spread of of Chinese power or influence uh, in the region and and more broadly, and you know, I I think I'm I'm actually I I've come around a bit. I'm a little more supportive of the case for strategic ambiguity, which is this policy, right, of like, maybe we will intervene, maybe we won't intervene. I think ambiguity is fine. I think it helps, if done right, it can help, you know, prevent a conflict in the first place, but also get the Taiwanese to kind of do more for themselves. What I worry about is that, right now at least, the the mood in Washington is very much we're panicking because we think this conflict is imminent and that there isn't much we can do to stop it, oddly enough. And 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 so we're trying to rush a bunch of things through to try and shore up this idea that, yeah, we will defend Taiwan no matter what. And I think that's a mistake. I think it misreads the serious challenges the PLA has internally in getting itself ready to do anything. And I think that it's going to produce a lot of bad decisions that make a war more likely. And so even if I think, you know, we shouldn't fight that war at all down the road, right now I think the the um, overwhelming objective for folks like myself on the restraint side of the aisle is we got to lasso this out of control sort of threat inflation and start pulling it back to at least the middle, right? I don't know if we can get it to the point where I would like to be where we kind of wash our hands of this commitment, but we need to at least like be making these arguments and pointing out, hey, listen, the crazy hawks out there, they're selling you something based off of an incomplete and bad understanding of where the Chinese military is and what it's trying to do. Eric Gomez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.